Welcome to the Better You Podcast, a show about maintaining healthy habits, living well, and the people who do both in their personal and professional lives. Hey everyone, welcome to the Better You Podcast. Today, our guest is Jonathan Edelite. Jonathan's the chairman and co-founder of Global Healthcare Resources. He also runs the Medical Tourism Association. Throughout his career in health and well-being, he's worked with some of the best and brightest, helping some name brand companies and Fortune 500 wellness leaders learn how to improve their practice. He also publishes Corporate Wellness Magazine. This is a resource that compiles different research reports and insights from across the industry, helping some of the best leaders stay informed on what's happening today and where we could be going next. Jonathan, welcome to the Better You Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Sean. Hey, with your background, I'd really curious, we ask all of our guests this question, where did your road to wellness begin and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a great question because I think in my prior life, I was definitely less into wellness and well-being than I am today. And I think the older we get, the wiser we get, the more involved in, in understanding the importance of well-being. But uh you know, my previous life out of law school, I went to run a national, uh, regional TPA that I took national that was really, I think, the first one to implement corporate wellness. And I don't want to say, the t- say we coined the term corporate wellness, but, you know, we were using the term corporate wellness before it was called corporate wellness. And that was when, you know, in the beginning, nobody cared about it. And then that TPA, eventually we sold it to private equity and I launched the Corporate Health and Wellness Association, Corporate Wellness Magazine and Global Healthcare Resources. Because at its infancy, what we saw is that a lot of the employers were just, they're making mistakes and they're making the same mistakes and they were very open to sharing their mistakes. And there was no place for everyone to come together to say, this works, this doesn't work, you know, try this solution, don't work with this company. Um, And that input actually came from you know, employers in a like a round to private roundtable at one of our conferences. And so we were like, okay, there's this really great need to create it. So we created the Corporate Health and Wellness Association with that simple concept of to do that and to help employers leapfrog, you know, ahead. And it was founded, there was like a handful of solutions in the marketplace, literally like, like five solutions. And now I, I don't know if we have thousands or tens of thousands, you know, from race car driver who created a milkshake company and like he's pitching to employers is like there's so much being thrown at everyone i think it's very difficult you know to choose and to stay on top of it and you know and be aware of what works and what doesn't in today's world thinking a little bit back into the history of wellness i i find myself getting really excited about those pieces what was it like having to educate the market around this idea of corporate wellness at a time when people really hadn't, you know, coined that term, they were making these different mistakes. What did you find yourself doing from an activity perspective to kind of increase awareness around what a program is and what it potentially could be? We, you know, we did a lot of webinars and covered at our conferences, a lot of, you know, just focused on employers presenting what they were doing, like that was cutting edge and working what they were experimenting with. And once again, what I felt was so important that no one was talking about at the time, what isn't working, right? And back in the day when we started, it was, you know, that was when we were talking about 10,000 steps, right? It was like <laughs> the very basic stuff. And we've come, you know, so far, you know, today. But I think what I really love the most is when employers are either sharing what isn't working 
or they're experimenting and they're willing to share, like, I'm just trying this or I'm piloting this. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm just trying something different. I love the honesty. And I think there's not a lot of places that people can go, um, you know, where you're getting that honesty and a lot, you know, because a lot of times people don't want to share their mistakes or they're trying something and they don't want anyone else to know, you know, what they're trying. Like we had the director benefits of Google speak at our conference one year. And I remember saying ahead of time, listen, this can't be recorded. You know, there could be no media in there. We don't want anyone to know. And this is very rare that Google ever speaks about what they're doing, but we're willing to share it to the 2000 people that are here. Um, you know, so I just find it very, very refreshing, you know, when you get that honesty, um, you know, and sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes I get frustrated because sometimes you get people that, you know, aren't open to doing things differently in this space and they just want to keep doing the same thing that hasn't worked. That is super fr frustrating. Like I'm someone who always has to try new things. My soul dies inside if it's like you've just got to do the same thing over again and never change and, and never experiment in this space. You know, when you see those types of, of leaders who are really committed and digging their heels in on running those same types of programs over and over, where do you think that comes from? Because I've, I've often encountered that a bit. You know, sometimes we'll see folks that are very compliance oriented around well-being and they're looking to, to check some of the right boxes versus diving deeper in some other elements. Maybe engagement is something they're not as interested in. Where do you think that kind of comes from? Just that ability to not want to change in that moment. I think there's different personalities in the space. There's people running these programs that are just real people and they just want to help people and they'll, they'll just try, they'll try anything and they'll, you know, and they really stay in tune to what their employees want with, you know, what you call them employee resource groups, just talking to employees, you know, then there's like your people compliance, they want to check boxes. There's some that they don't want any problems, any risk, you know, they just want to offer whatever is given to them by the carrier or the broker some don't want to change anything because they just don't want to rock the boat. Some, it's not their fault. I, I think, you know, you know, get a lot of insights about people in charge of well-being or benefits where they kind of get beaten down. So like if they try something new and if it backfires, you know, it's a huge repercussion, you know. So we've done a lot of webinars and education, even with CEOs speaking. And it's fascinating because you'll have like CEOs that are amazing. They want their, their people to bring them new ideas in, in different things. But I think that, you know, HR and benefits and well-being leaders typically are not given just the free reins to do what's necessary. And also I think that there's this disconnect too where the like CFO and CEO don't understand. Like I personally, I mean, this is somewhat controversial, but I feel like there should be incentives or bonuses for performance, just like sales or business development or the seats we get it because Things aren't changing in healthcare. Our costs are at an unsustainable level. They're not going down. They're keeping going up because all the solution providers, all the carriers, their goal is not to make our employees healthier and happier. Their goal is corporate profits. Like, how do I just drive corporate profits? How do I control? If they're, you know, if you're fully insured, you're kind of screwed because you're never going to break away from the system. Even if you're self-funded, you have to fight to look at who are going to be my solution providers that are going to actually, you know, help reduce my costs or help my employees versus, you know, companies that are part of this whole system to just drive costs up. And there's been a lot of media content around Ozempic. And it, it's funny because we had Harvard professor 
who he's who the Department of Justice calls to go after the pharma companies, right? So it's like mm-hmm. most of the pharma we get pitched today, it's it's not for the health and wellness of our employees. Like all the top drugs, their stuff ten thousand percent cheaper from five or ten or twenty years ago. That's just as effective. The data is there, but just like we're being pushed these more expensive drugs. So you got a Zempic came around, and the pharma company clearly put out research and like all the major publications just picked it up this week. And it was like obesity, it's not anyone's fault, right? It's, it's genetic. And, you know, so therefore it's the case of like, just everybody needs Ozempic. I feel like we're at this better place where in well-being, you have to meet the employee where they're at with what they need, very customized, that's going to work for them. Totally different than like everything that's been cookie cutter in the past. And so if they're stressed out, you know, is that financial stress? Is it family stress? How can we help deal with that stress? How can we put them in a better place? Because at the end of the day, they may not be sleeping. They could be overeating. They could not be exercising. That creates the situation where now in the future, it's going to be like, here's your solution. It's Ozempic. When at the end of the day, you're just, you're, you're not solving the problem. You're just keeping the problem going. And I, you know, so I, I, I'm really excited about the, the, the very customized solutions and looking at, I got a great, I got a huge demographic of my employees. What does everybody want? If, you know, if I've got a, a, a 50 year old black female employee and I've got some kind of fitness virtual coaching program, I don't want to give her a 20 year old white guy who she can't relate to. You know, we have these programs where now you can relate to people and we need to focus on that stuff and get away from the stuff that actually is just going to drive our costs up and not make any impact whatsoever. I really like the call out there, Jonathan, about the underlying causes, you know, how there can be a bunch of different things that can contribute to a health issue, whether it's a chronic or whether it's something that you're developing over time. Thinking back to how you created this, this community of wellness leaders who are willing to come forward and you know share some of the things that they're learning, whether it's, hey, this is an underlying condition that we're seeing at our employer group. This is something that's driving costs for us. Is that the same for you all? This is a program we ran. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. How did you go about kind of building those initiatives and how did that evolve over time? Because I kind of imagine it'd be very hard to get someone to go to go first, right? And in this world of well-being where, you know, like you mentioned, we don't get incentives when we do really well. In some cases, folks are you know looking almost at us to blame in some cases. How do you get folks to kind of share those pieces so that we can all learn and move forward together? You know, I would say it's, it's 17 years of getting them to share and building a community. I mean, we have about half a million members on LinkedIn, a large database, about 40,000 40, readers of the magazine. But just continually, I think, whether it's conference, webinars, research, social posts, getting these employers to share where, you know, people just feel like this is a great community and they can just share. and They want to share. I just think there's not a lot of avenues out there where they can really share. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is, you know, this is me not knocking other organizations out there, but a lot of times how employers are going to share, well, let's say conference, magazine, like webinars, these are all sponsored events, you know, where a lot of the companies that are creating the problems, driving costs up, they're supporting these events, you know, and so that is not the message you're going to get. There's going to be more pro messages, you know, like for us, we've always, you know, we eventually changed our, our, our organization name and also our event to healthcare revolution. Cause it was like, you know, we got to show stuff like, you know, and not be afraid to tell people the way it is and let people share ideas and offend 
potentially vendors or solution providers out there. Um, and so I think we've gotten very lucky. Now, having said that, you know, we just did a webinar, um, I think it was like 60 days ago. And it was funny because this is the, the world we're in now where one of the speakers called me afterwards and he's like, listen, I realized during the, my presentation, like I, I used the word pig. And it wasn't in a derogatory term or anything like that, but it was like, listen, can you please go back and edit that out? You know, because I don't want anyone thinking I'm calling anyone pigs and I've offended people. So I think one of the things we, you know, you got to be careful with is, uh, you know, everyone's a little bit more careful today of what they say and what they share than even three to five years ago. But it's still, it's, it's tough to find. And one thing I encourage employers out there or even brokers or consultants is like, just go ask people. Call, I mean, I, you know, I found in the well-being space, people running well-being programs typically are very open to just, you know, sharing what's going on, whether, it, you know, and if it's not in a group setting, it could be in an individual setting. Sometimes people think like, oh, they, they elevate, you know, and it's anything, right? You elevate somebody. It's like, oh, I can't ask them or they're not going to want to share it um, or anything like that. But I think you they'll, they'll be extremely pleasantly surprised of walking up to people and you know, sharing like, hey, or, or just sharing, these are my challenges. So we've done these round tables. I call them focus groups. It's like 15 employers on a virtual zoo where they're sharing problems they have and other benefits will be are, are sharing. Well, check out this research or try this or this is what we did. The corniest word after the first one we, we did, it came up, but it just felt right. To me, it was like a love fest. It was this very weird thing. It doesn't happen on webinars. It doesn't happen at conferences. It was just a group of employers, you know, really just trying to help each other. And and so I think it's there. It's just you got you to create those opportunities for, you know, that to happen. And it makes me rethink, you know, like how we should approach webinars, conferences, like all these different things, because they. I think everyone needs these open, honest things where people don't feel I've got to like, you know, if a broker is here, a vendor, like I got to go sell or I got to focus on like just being a part of that. And I feel like building the relationship with everybody, you know, and sharing of that knowledge. A venue where you can really be candid and share what's really going on. Oh, makes a ton, a ton of sense. I guess thinking about some of the trends that you've seen over time, either from those, you know, those, those round tables or even from the, you know, the 17 years of building, what are some of the trends that you've seen evolve just in wellness and the ways that our employers are, are tackling some of these problems today? That's a tough answer because it's it's so complex with so many solutions, right? So it's like, what direction in your question do I go to? You know, how we can help manage people's healthcare solutions, uh, you know, their, their chronic conditions. But I also think everything we're seeing with like, whether it's mental health, uh, behavioral health, um, virtually, like there's all this crazy innovation out there. And, and some of it, when I say crazy, is like, you know, what was, you know, like Uber was crazy. Airbnb was crazy, right? Then it's not, you know, um, you know, I just talked to a company the other day where it's like, you know, if you're a plumber, right, you're going to be able to talk to a plumber uh, about whether personal or professional stuff. So it's like bringing people from different industries in as your kind of coaches. So I think there's a lot of creativity and I love that creativity because I think we have to get away from what's there in the market now, which is just very cookie cutter stuff. And there's a lot of companies that have raised a ton of money in this space, you know, 50, 100 million, and it's, and it's all very cookie cutter, and they don't really innovate 
or try to change the model. Um, so I, I think seeing that there's, you know, it, it's still going to be a challenge. So there's a company that I worked with um, about two years ago, which potentially I think one of the most disruptive companies out there that gives employers access to their data, right? And this is the reason why this is crazy. I'm going to share you the problem employers are going to have with really trying to solve their issues. And so only company in the country that is, you know, if your employer, you truly have access to your data, complete transparency. Because a lot of times, even if you're self-funded, you're big, the carriers have your data, they hold on to your data, they don't want you to have your data, they don't want you to know anything that's going on. Keep you on, you know, on that course and just making the money. And so they had the ability, because of that, you know, a lot of employers will say, like, hey, if I have somebody with cancer, right, as a company, me and the vendor who deals with that for it, you know, we won't find out until six months after they got treatment that they had cancer. So there's nothing that we can do. So you could equate that to anything. Somebody has diabetes. Somebody has a serious mental health issue. They're only finding out way in advance. And this company actually allows the employer to almost instantly know, like through the, you know, the CPT codes, trigger diet, like this is happening. Now you can intervene. But the reality is all the carriers are fighting it. Like everybody's fighting it. Like nobody wants it adopted. There's some major players like employers who are doing it, but it's like David versus Goliath, right? And to me, that shows the problem that we have in the industry because it's a technology that just empowers all the vendors and all the employers to be able to act faster and help people. And the whole system doesn't want it to happen. So for me, the transformation that I would love to see is just solutions you know, in well-being that can help people with what they need today you know, and, and engage them and, you know, where there's better utilization than the products that we've had in the past. But as we get more, you know, real time and more direct in, in reaching folks with what they need kind of just in time, it seems like you need this, this wealth of data. And I guess where my question's headed, Jonathan, is thinking about privacy, kind of what's the balance for, yes, we want to help people with these health conditions. We want to make sure that we're delivering value to them as an employer who's running this program. But are there any lines in the sand that you see as we get into some of these sensitive issues? I think about mental health specifically, right? We don't want to be in scenarios where we're, we're predicting things sometimes before even the employee realizes there's a problem. How do we kind of balance you know, that, that employee privacy with that desire to be just in time? That's, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I feel like that's a big concern for employers, right? Like, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to know, but they want to help people. I, I, I'm for you know, we should be moving in the direction of let's just help people, right? You know, if it's, I think it's all if it's handled right, you know, like, what is the communication? What is that process where those people don't feel that you're violating their privacy, but you're just there to help? Now for the new generation, like that's not an issue, right? They've, they've given up their privacy, um, you know, TikTok and, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. But uh, I, I think as long as it's not intrusive, like for me, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday on solar panels, and it was like Tesla. And an hour later, I got a call from a telemarketer trying to sell me solar <laughs> panels. And I haven't had, I haven't bought, you know, inquired or looked at, you know, so I haven't gotten a call for solar panels in years. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, six months ago, I was uh, driving on the highway, and I text messaged my brother about. I was, uh, my car was in the shop. I was driving a minivan. He has a minivan. I was listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I just texted him, listen, you know, on the highway going 80, listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers in my minivan. And like, 
you know, two hours later on Facebook, I was advertised for Red Hot Chili Peppers concept concert, right? So like those are things where it's like, okay, people are listening to me or are tracking stuff without me actually requesting it. So how do we do it without being creepy or overreach? But at the same time, if we don't do it, if we don't get aggressive with it, nothing's going to change. And if employers are consistently like we're beyond the breaking point with costs, you know, what are you going to do? And like specialized drugs, biologics, all these things, which are going to crush employers from a cost perspective. You know, I'm a believer that a lot of chronic conditions come from, you know, your state of mind, you know, your health, physical health, your mental health, all these things. And it's just about going back to basics about how can you help your employers live, you know, like happier and healthier lives. And that's going to have the biggest impact on chronic you know, your chronic conditions and, and your expenses, although it's not easy. Like, how do you change people? How do you motivate people in a world where I feel like it's constant distractions and constant things to try to take you off of whatever, you know, mission you may be on to, to make yourself a better version of yourself? Looping back on that, that privacy piece, it, it sounds like if the technology is there, if it's going to get used already, why don't we apply it to something that's going to create goodness, that's going to help someone do the things they already want to do around, around their health and well-being? I think that makes an absolute ton of sense. Are there, are there use cases that you've seen, maybe shifting off of privacy a little bit, just thinking about general well-being programs, where you've seen companies try to do things that their employees want to do, but it's almost been been hollow for a variety of different reasons, right? Where they're they're trying to do the right thing, but the program just doesn't quite have the follow through. What are some of the attributes that you've seen in those programs where you've launched something, you've had really good intentions, but then you're looking back a year later and maybe it was an outcome, but it wasn't quite the outcome you wanted, whether it was a positive one or just a different one. What are some of those indicators that you've seen kind of come up throughout the years? I would say there's a lot of indicators. There could be a lot of reasons, you know, some of it could be, I mean, I've seen stuff where it's, it's simple. It's just not communicated, right? Like, you know, how do you, you look back and it's like, how did you communicate it? The employer really didn't communicate it or, or didn't communicate it, right? The vendor didn't communicate it. The broker didn't communicate it. Also, it could be the broker wasn't on board and they're the ones doing a lot of the education um, of it. Sometimes it could be it's not really integrated. Um, you know, uh, as my uh, buddy Lee Lewis over at the Health Transformation Alliance says, I, I'm not going to say it like he says it, but it's like, you know, he's always looking for stuff where it's like it's integrated in everything and the employee doesn't even know it's something like separate or, you know, so it's easy to use, easy to engage. I mean, uh, you know, I, I also, you know, believe in that because if it's if it's separate, if it's tough for people to access, um, they may not utilize it. Are there incentives, you know, to get people to use it? I mean, we, you know, it's tough because I know incentives get controversial of do they work, do they not work? At the end of the day, I think incentives, you know, if you do them right, works. Um, and there's some employers with incentives that are like, I am, this is the compliance. I'm not going to violate compliance. Others are like, you know what, we'll just throw out whatever incentives and whatever we need to do to get our program to work, work right. Um you know, sometimes it's just the product doesn't work. They were sold on a product that doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't work for the group. There's been things where you talk about like privacy, you know, where something's rolled out and it's like, you know, the employees 
don't trust the employer. Like, you know, like you got to look at who's the culture of your employees. And then what are you rolling out and how are you rolling out? And will that aspect of, you know, like truckers or, uh, you know, a pig slaughtering plants or IT work, like, you know, different programs work for different uh, different people. So sometimes you throw out a cookie cutter approach and it's like, well, these people don't have computers, you know, so they're, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to engage uh, with the solution. So uh, I think, um, uh, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's a lot of shiny bobbles in the space. You know, I remember there's a huge platform in the space that all, they have all the point solutions in it, right? They're like, what are the big ones? Um, and I remember talking to their founder years ago and it was like, you know, they were talking about like, yeah, we always got to find a couple new shiny bobbles, right. To go add to our platform for employee employers to, you know, so they can add something new and, you know, like we don't care if it works or not. I think one challenge too, is like employers should rethink like working with these huge platforms, um, you know, because at this point, I feel like they're part of the problem and not the solution. They're not really focused on innovation. They're just focused on, you know, generating the revenue for these platforms that could have a thousand, you know, point solutions in this in the space. And you're not going to get innovation. You're not going to get real insights, you know, uh, from that. There's no incentive for for that to happen. We talk about that a lot here at Better You, just as a team, right? Uh, through innovation, a big company can only ever really replace themselves. But through innovation, a little company could displace a big company. Who do you think wants it more, right? There's definitely that that willingness to move. Looping back, one of the pieces you mentioned of this idea of, of the technology kind of fitting into the workflow. And I think about this quote, I forget exactly where it comes from. We can add it to the show notes. But this idea that technology is invisible, right? The best technology, you don't even notice it. It's just part of your day and part of your workflow. As you've seen wellness evolve, I think about things from wearables to different sort of devices that kind of fit in, even your idea of this just-in-time recommendations leveraging data. How do you see that idea of, of you know wellness technology kind of becoming more and more invisible over time? Do you think these you know, this wearable push that we had over the last 10 years is kind of a natural evolution. Do you think there's something else coming kind of after it? Does it tie back to that just-in-time wellness concept you mentioned earlier? We'd love to get your thoughts. I feel it's important for technology to be invisible if we want to hit the masses. The other challenge with that, though, is that, okay, you know, like, you know, I've got my iPhone and Apple decides to have their specific solution, you know, which I, you know, maybe don't like and people don't like. And so now, is it harder for people to get the solutions that work? Um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, give or take. Um, and uh, the wearables, it's, you know, it's a tough one because I felt like when the wearables came around, I know they were so hot cause they were so, so cool, but, you know, sitting back from, you know, running the, you know, the association for the industry was like, these companies selling the world. It's just a pro. It's a, it's a product sale. It's not. It's not really was a wellness. It was just selling as much product as possible, and it was an easy thing. Employer, let me just go buy wearables for my people. But it's like, hey, um, you know, Fitbit even gave me a free wearable, and it was like, hey, like I wore it for two weeks, and then I I got bored with it because it wasn't. I, I you know I I walk a lot. I have a stand up desk, but it wasn't like changing my behavior at all. Uh, my father-in-law actually just bought a Fitbit. It was funny. It just came out of the blue. And I was like, Fitbit, interesting. I was like, but he got it to sleep. He was trying, he's trying to sleep better. Right. But I was like, wow, I didn't know people were still buying Fitbits. So, uh, you know, I'd like to see the next 
advancement, it's so tough because I feel we're moving in an unhealthy direction as a country. Always on our phones, total lack of exercise, eating poorly, overprescribed medications. You know, I, I would hope that there would be a technology that could come around that could help reverse that somehow, but somehow empower and motivate people to want to make change. Because at the end of the day, if people aren't individually motivated or care, then they won't. You know, that could just be they're in a bad place or they're stuck, you know, or they're sad or depressed or they can't get over that hump. This is such an interesting piece as a company that made an app around health and well-being. One of the things that we did early on that was actually a mistake, you know, we, we would recommend, we said, hey, try this goal or try that goal versus really getting that intake of what are you looking to improve from your health and well-being? What does that mean to you? And we realized that our job isn't to sell you on getting better sleep. If that's not your goal from a wellness perspective, let's figure out what your goal is and try to focus on that point so we're not as, not as prescriptive. When you think about you know, your, your body of work here over the, these past years, kind of building this organization, you've seen a lot of different well-being leaders. You've seen a lot of organizations doing it well. What does wellness mean to you today? I think it's a very individualized right? You know, like what, what, what does wellness mean for me today versus what I want wellness to mean for me, you know, six months or a year or two. And, and then there's, you know, you could say, Hey, what's, what's organizational wellness or what should be for the industry or what's for me personally, you know, for me personally, it's trying to be as healthy as I can, trying to be in as good as mental state that I can, trying to live as long as of a life I can for my son and, and be, happy and be, you know, a good, good dad, good husband, and just, you know, and be present and be balanced. And that constantly being challenged by everything from the outside world and all the distractions that constantly interfere in that. Um, you know, and then there's, you know, for the well-being for the next couple of weeks, I've been traveling a lot for like a month or two. Uh, you know, it's getting back to the gym because I know when I, you know, start exercising again, you know, I'm going to feel a lot more positive. I'm going to have a lot more great ideas. And I'm going to be, you know, happier. I would say over the last five years, I focused a lot on my mental health and a little bit of kind of rewiring my brain and how I think, how I process information and, and the transformation from where I was in the past to where I am now. I mean, it's always, I think it's always a challenge. If anybody ever thinks like, you know, oh, you're always in this, you get to this perfect state. No, nobody's like that, right? It's like, it's a, well, life is a constant battle of evolving and changing and deciding you want to change. Um, you know, but going from in the, in a long time ago, not being able to accept any criticism, people say stuff and just, you know, instance, you know, it's an attack or something like that. Defenses, not listening. And I think one of the most powerful tools that I got is if there's ever a problem, it could be, you know, within the family, outside, like work, just even with strangers, anything is just what was my part in it? What was my part in that situation? Getting rid of anger and getting rid of stress, accepting responsibility, you know, like wherever it lies or could lie in any aspect of my life. That one thing has made me a much happier person. I, I love it. You know, it's interesting. It, it reminds me actually of advice I got from my car insurance company. I was parked and somebody backed into me and I was submitting my claim and I thought they would be 100% at fault. But they said, listen, Sean, if you're on the road, 
And I think about that in a lot of my relationships, right? You know, I'm, I'm on the road, I'm engaging with this person and it's probably not at hundred percent, you know, them or, or me, there's probably some culpability on both sides. How can I take ownership of my side of it? I, I like that. It's a great way to look at it, John. One of the things we always like is we like to come up with some actionable tips just for individuals who are looking to improve their day-to-day, their health. You shared a few of them actually in, in you know, what you're looking to do now that you're back traveling. But just to ask in a, in a different way slightly here, if you had a piece of advice, something simple that someone could do to improve their health and well-being, what would be that, that tip that you'd share with, with the folks out there? I would say be open be open to trying new things. Like you're not, nothing's going to change if you just do what you're doing. You know, if you asked me a couple of years ago, you know, maybe five years ago or, or before, would I be open to certain things? Like even talking about mental health, talking about personal problems. One, share personal problems because the reality is you're going to find out everyone around you has problems. And, and some of the best um, things that I've taken in is when you hear someone else talking, about like their problem or their situation and you can identify things like uh, group therapy. I think group therapy is, a, is, is, is amazing because sometimes we can never see our own problems, but in other people, we see their thing and can relate it back to us. Um, my wife, I think like seven years ago, got me to go to like a, a three-day retreat, you know, where you get in touch with your inner child, right? I was like, this is stupid. This is crazy. But my wife wants to go. I'm going to go. Right. And I went. I think I cried twice. By the way, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't share that information, you know, on uh, a podcast or anything. But it was an amazing experience. And I've done other retreats, too, where, you know, be things I think like, oh, this is going to help me and this or that. But like, try to like, try new solutions, try new ideas, try different you know, mental health things, because there's stuff that's going to work for you. Um, and just be completely open to it. If you're just resistant, um, and just thinks things are going to naturally change in your life, whether it's mental health, physical health, or things like that, it won't. And it takes time. Everything takes time. And you're going to falter. And you know, like, maybe you'll go back, you'll get a rut, you won't even realize you're in that rut. And then when you realize it and you're like, Oh, I got to go back and do this with my mental health or think this way, or I've got to go, you know, back to the gym, like use that not as a, like, I'm stupid. I can't believe I forgot, but I'm like, I'm so thankful that I was aware and was able to realize I had reverted to kind of old ways. Try new things and being open to opportunity. The only way to get someplace you've never been. I, I like That's it. That's a good tagline there. You should trademark that. I that, like that we could TM get the TM over there. I take it. <laughs> Oh man. Well, well, John, we've had a blast getting to know you, learning more about the wellness side. If folks are interested and they want to dive deeper in you and your journey, what are some of the best ways for them to connect and follow along? They could just reach out, uh, you know, email me. They could go to the association site, sign up for updates, webinars. We're doing webinars, you know, uh, every month. They could go to healthcarerevolution.com and sign up. Uh, you know, we launched three moonshots for the industry and, you know, they can get updates for the moonshots. Um, but my hope from this is that they, you know, make them open to want to connect with other people and get insights and advice and realize that, um, I feel, uh, you know, there's a lot of support out there as long as you reach out for whether it's personally or professionally. I love it. We'll include those resources in the show notes here, and we're looking forward to following along here closely over at Better You. Good luck to you with Better You. We all need a better version of ourselves. Thanks for tuning in to the Better You Podcast. If you're interested in continuing your journey to improve health and wellness, 
Learn more at betteryou.ai.